Welcome to another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. Dave Gasper here along with Matt and Carol, as always, bringing you all the latest news from the Milwaukee Brewers and enjoying a couple of beers, you know, just living life to the fullest. And certainly a lot of beers had to be drank after uh, this past week watching the Brewers, uh, specifically on Sunday when the Brewers were no hits by none other than Alec Mills of the of, of the Chicago Cubs, a former walk-on at University of Tennessee at Martin, uh, came in with a 4.74 ERA and just threw a no-hitter against the Brewers at Miller Park in September, well, when the Brewers are fighting for their playoff lives. And, uh, Matt, I had, to, I had to leave for work in the middle of this game, so I didn't fully watch the end of it, but that, that whole thing, like the offense has, it was just so inconsistent through the, through the days coming up. And then it just kind of led to basically rock bottom. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're going to talk about this no hitter, I'm going to go ahead and open this beer now at noon on a Thursday. Um, This is a moon man by new Glarus, by the way, one of my favorites, but, uh, this is going to be needed if we're going to talk about an Alec Mills no-hitter. Um, I also ended up having to leave that game a little bit early to go move a couch for my father-in-law's, and that was actually more fun than watching that Brewers game, which is sad. Um, man, it – I don't know. Only five strikeouts in the game, which was kind of crazy. So uh, I thought I had read somewhere the – it might have been McCalvey, it might have been Salmon who posted it. The Brewers were 0 for 11 on balls that they made contact with, and the percent chance that they wouldn't have gotten a hit on any of them was like 0.07%, yeah. which is nuts. Yeah. Like, we should have had something there somewhere. But uh, Alec Mills, I mean, he started against us once earlier in the year, and we had a little bit of trouble with him, and that was just – yeah, the culmination of really a bad weekend. I mean, we had the Friday night game where we were only able to scrape together the hits in the end to even pull that one off. Uh, the game on Saturday in which we had eight hits, so we strung together hits, but only were able to get two runs out of it, and then it just ended with that just dud of a game on Sunday. Yeah, it, it was all just kind of – it was going to culminate into something – and, like, the, the way that offense was going, it, it almost like they kind of needed a wake-up call like that. They kind of be like, hey, we really got to get something together. Because throughout the whole year, I mean, they've been flirting with with being no-hit a couple of times. Kenta Maeda nearly threw a no-hitter against them. Uh, a couple other games, there were no-hitters into the sixth or seventh inning against them. Um, and then finally, you know, someone completed the task and – you know, I, I think it really kind of woke the Brewers up to something. And, you know, that, then comes the the Cardinals series. I mean, they, they push across 18 runs against Jack Flaherty. They, they can't get a single hit off Alec Mills. But Jack Flaherty, one of the best pitchers in the National League, they can, they can put up nine runs off of before they get to the bullpen and then put up another nine runs. Like, it, it's just it, – it's almost like it's kind of been something with the Brewers for years where – when there's like a number five starter that no one's really ever heard of, that's really kind of mediocre. uh, They can't hit them for anything. 
But then when there's an ace that, you know, has a, you know, three sub three or something ERA, they light them up. Like, it's the most confusing thing. I, I've ever, I mean, baseball can be that way sometimes, but it's so confusing to see how, how they can do this to established really good pitchers. But for back-end starters, they can't hit them. Yeah. I mean, Randy Dobnak from the Twins was another one who had a really good outing against us. He just got optioned back down to the alternate site. He's been so rough recently. I mean, granted, we weren't the only one he was decent against early in the year, but those are the types of guys, guys that are, you know, new to the league. It's, yeah, absolutely. Over the last few years, it's just the, the Brewers are either, they'll either destroy the rookie pitcher type guy or they'll get absolutely destroyed by them. Um, more often than not, it seems like it's the latter because <laughs> as a fan base, we always seem to get frustrated when that happens. Yeah, and then you get to uh, the Cardinal series and that first doubleheader. They're facing Daniel Ponce de Leon, who has like a seven-something ERA, and they can barely escape, scrape together three or four hits off him. And, I mean, that, that first doubleheader, um, the Brewers, I really feel like should have swept it. Um, you know, it came down to the end and, and they ended up, uh, blowing the game that, that Corbin Burns started there in game two. Um, Eric Yardley going out there for the seventh. That was just, I, I don't understand that move by council yet. Drew Rasmussen out there. Like I, I know Devin Williams and, and Josh Hader pitched in game one, so they're going to be unavailable for game two, but throwing Yardley back out there for the seventh inning with the heart of the order coming up for St. Louis, it, it just, it didn't make much sense to me. Um, and Yardley followed Claudio, and they're basically uh, carbon copies of each other, except for Claudio's lefty and, and Yardley's a righty. But they both have that low arm slot, just kind of junk ballers, don't really throw all that hard. Uh, and and then you have Rasmussen out there who can chuck 99 miles an hour. Like, it, it just it didn't make much sense uh, to me to put Yardley back out there for the seventh, and it ended up costing them uh, the game. Yeah, it. I mean, I get it a little bit because, I mean, Yardley came in with a sub-3 ERA, so he's performed well this year. But he had just pitched in the previous inning, so he was coming out for his, uh, I don't think it was a total inning, but his second actual inning of work. I, I would have liked to have had Drew Rasmussen, at least Yardley did it get into some trouble, that they were ready to swap things out. And that's a pretty big change of pace there to have – Yardley and his kind of softer tossing, you know, breaking ball centric repertoire, and then just come in with Drew Rasmussen to just blow you away. Rasmussen's a rookie. He hasn't been in a lot of those high leverage situations yet. So I, I get his mindset, but it's still Eric Yardley. Like, yeah, ah, I, it's like, I would I mean, have liked to have a plan B, I guess, in that situation for such a important game. A doubleheader sweep to start off a five-game series would have been absolutely huge. And let's not forget, too, Claudio actually did a pretty decent job. He really should have gotten out of that inning if not for a super soft grounder to short that um, I think, was it O'Neal was able to run out? One of their yeah. speed demons. Um, he should have gotten out of that scoreless, but regardless, they had the chance for the win and yeah, Yardley unfortunately gave it up. Yeah. And Yardley, it's not like Yardley has a whole bunch of prior MLB experience. He has, he had 10 games 
with San Diego last year, and that was it. Like that, that's yeah. all that he has at the big league level, and he's 29. So, like, this is only his second year in the big leagues. Um, and, I mean, yeah, you look at his ERA, 1.83. It looks like he's doing great. But he's got a 4.26 FIP. Like, he, his peripheral numbers really aren't that encouraging. And, you know, at some point it's probably just going to kind of come back around on him and, you know, he's going to regress to the mean or, or whatever. But, yeah, Yardley, I, I don't really know if he's, a, if he's actually like a, a sub-two ERA kind of a reliever. I mean, he, he's been decent, but, you know, he, he's got 20 appearances and, you know, he's covered slightly less than 20 innings. You know, it's, it's, still, it's still a small sample size for, for me to say, oh, yeah, he's a sub-two ERA kind of reliever. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with that. I just I, – I, I get the thinking. We know how he's performed this year, and it's been, you know – he's done well enough for the Brewers. So, so I get that they were always going to be in an awkward position having used Williams and Hayter in that first game. Um, I mean, there were people asking on Twitter, you know, who are the Brewers going to go to if they have a lead late in this game? And sadly, the first name that came to my head was also Yardley because he's just, he's one that they've relied on for better or worse uh, earlier in the year and throughout the year. So whether or not that's the, right uh situation and be much better if we had known that Knable, by the way who ended up pitching great the next day was going to be able to do what he did he would be your ideal for that inning if he's chucking you know 96 97 but the last we'd seen of him he was struggling to even touch 95 so yeah, I mean that was it was a tough situation. They went where they went, and they it backfired on them. Unfortunately, they don't have a lot of chances left in the season to be making the wrong decisions here. They council has to be absolutely perfect with these if we're going to pull out, especially these close wins. Luckily, we only have one more doubleheader where we have to worry about it in that sense, though. Yeah, 11 games left in the regular season. Uh, as of right now, they're ha- they got a series um, on Friday, starting on Friday against the Royals, uh, and then three games against the Reds, and then five more against the Cardinals to finish it out. Um, yeah, you mentioned um, Corey Knable uh, coming back, and yeah, in his uh, two-inning outing on Tuesday, uh, he was throwing 97 miles an hour, he introduced a changeup, which is something he hasn't thrown since like 2014. Um, and, and hitters were confused by that. They're like, well, he's got a changeup now? Like, like what was that? Um, so uh, he's got a third pitch now that he's thrown in the mix to go with his hammer curveball. And if he, like his command looked back, he was throwing strikes. If Knable's back to throwing 97 miles an hour with the hammer curve and now also with a changeup, and his command is there. I mean, the, the the Brewers just got themselves an incredible weapon back in their bullpen. And, and I mean, they, they traded Phelps back at the deadline. And everyone's like, no, how are they going to replace him? And, I mean, you got Knable coming back. And it, with Knable back to his old self, him, Josh Hader, Devin Williams as a back three in that bullpen, like, it, it's it's a race to the sixth inning. You know, like that, that's all it is. If the Brewers can get a lead um, by the sixth inning, uh, which is something that this season that they really haven't been able to do that much, um, if they can get that lead, 
they're almost going to be, you know, unstoppable. Yeah. And I mean, if Drew Rasmussen also is someone who can pitch in high leverage, you know, add him to that mix. I think it's a little, maybe, yeah, it might be a little too early to throw that on him, but either way, that's, that's so many power arms at the, oh my gosh, at the end of that, looking to at that changeup, um, he threw four of them according to Statcastle that they were saying some of them weren't classified right. I don't know if they went back and did that already. Uh, two of them went for balls, two of them went for called strikes. So they clearly were flustered by that, not wanting to touch it because it was so unfamiliar to them. I I love that mix of three. He His final uh, fastball, actually his third to last fastball, registered at 96.9. That'd be the fastest one of them for the year. That was the swinging third strike on Tommy Edmond. I... This is, you knew it was going to take a little bit for him to build up that velocity after Tommy John surgery. Like that's just what happens. And it took a while. Sometimes it can take a full year, but now you start to see that coming back. Maybe some of it was related to that hamstring. You know, he did say that the hamstring injury, he was overcompensating for it a little bit. It was affecting his velocity somewhat. It was affecting his place pitch placement somewhat you know, maybe that did play into it more than he or anyone would like to admit now that he's fully healthy from that. He did also say that he fell back on some bad habits. Uh, he was able to fix some of those while at the alternate site. And so far, man, the results have been promising. Yeah, he, he's looked good. And speaking of looking good, he has added a beard. Too like he's normally a clean shaven guy. He's he's got a full like dark beard now. I, I thought it would have been like a like a lighter color beard, but no, it's like it's like full brown hair and and he's like growing out the the dad beard or whatever it is. But yeah, he's he's got some he's got some scruff there and like I, I've never seen that on him before, but but it looks good. Hey, you have to spend that much time up north, and you know we can debate whether Appleton is considered up north or not i'm from farther up north than that so i would say no but you still get a little temperature drop between milwaukee and there maybe he just needed it to get through the weather i don't know <laughs> yeah that, that that was that was always my excuse for uh letting my beard grow out during the winter like i'm just trying to keep warm you know it's all it is um but yeah so you know really good things to see from cory canable and uh something else that we saw in, in game two uh that or, or the second day of the, that Cardinal series, the only full nine-inning game uh, that was played, was there was there was a little bit of a fight, uh, benches clearing, not really a, a brawl, but a discussion, uh, a, a benches clearing heated discussion, uh, started by uh, Cardinals manager Mike Schiltz and Yadier Molina, after Molina was hit on the hand by the bat of Ryan Braun on a swing. Uh, Molina reached too far out and Braun tried to hit the ball and, and get it late in the zone and he ended up hitting Molina right on the hand uh, which looked super painful um, so you know Molina's trying to you know deal with that and get checked out by the trainers and he's kind of by the Brewers on deck circle where he kind of ran off to after the the pain started um, and, and then someone just kind of started John and then Mike Schilt you know he was John and you know, then, you know, they kind of rush over, walk over to the Brewers dugout, and then everyone's just, you know, jumping out. It's like, okay, now. And then Jed Jerko gets himself in the middle of all this, trying to trying to calm everybody down because, you know, he was a Cardinal for a number of years. 
and it just it it was it was ugly. I mean, the Cardinals that they missed eleven games, and they're the cause of of all these double headers because they had a coronavirus outbreak, and then in a year where basically you are not going to be allowed to have these kinds of brawls, like you know the, you know there's gonna be no like mass meeting and you know some giant pile up on the field. Um, and then they're all running out there, you know, no masks or whatever else, and just kind of starting a starting a fight. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? You know? Yeah, I, MLB sure has been good at enforcing that uh, no fighting ban, huh? <laughs> you said with sarcasm. Uh, yeah. So I know we all gave Molina some grief at the beginning for what we thought was the instigation of that. It turns out afterwards we find out it's Schilt, so I'll, I'll at least take that back. Although he was – we never really found out what it was in between the next inning that he was pointing at or complaining to the second base ump about or whatever. That never really came to light, so I guess we'll just – that'll always be a mystery for us. Schilt brought up the fact that Molina has only ever been – in a catcher's interference twice in his career. McKelvey found out later that it was actually three times, but still not many times. So he made it a fact to point that out. So not saying that Braun did it on purpose, but, but at the same time, like we as Brewers fans know this, Braun has drawn a lot of catcher's interference over his career, not on purpose, just because yeah. he has that very wide swing. Like it covers a, he has a very long part. bat too. Like, yes. I think it's like thirty six, like thirty six inches or something that he uses. Yeah, it's just it's an extremely long swing, and there have been plenty of catchers' interference calls that have gone the Brewers' way in the past. He said that Schilt said that Molina's been in the league since '05, and this has only happened so many times. Ron has been in the league since '07 and played against the Cardinals many times. It's it shouldn't be any secret to them that this has happened in his at-bats before. So, and maybe that's what uh, some of the chirping was about. I don't know, but like, it's sure Molina hasn't had them happen to him a lot, but it, it, it happens to Braun. It's just, it is a thing. So I, I don't know what point there was in complaining about it. I don't know what was said by the Brewers. Council said it was a miscommunication, but whatever it was drew Schilt's attention and the, MLB made sure that they were aware that this can't happen. They suspended him for one game of the doubleheader the next day. So, you know, it ended up resolving itself. And, and as always happens in situations like this, you know, they downplayed it after the game. They said what they could say, but didn't reveal all the details. And, and we move on. Yeah, it, it stays on the field, whatever it was that, that was said. They're, they're not going to tell that um, publicly. But there was one thing that did come out that, that was said, um, like a few pitches before uh, the catcher's interference, there was a low strike call against Braun in that at-bat. And Braun is um, upset. He, he's literally standing there in the box and he's telling the up, no, 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 that is not a strike. Just because he gets mad at you doesn't mean that's a strike, man. Po- pointing at Yachty. Because <laughs> yeah. So I think there was like a close call that uh, the ump didn't give him um, that, that, that he called a ball earlier in the at-bat. So then Yachty yells at him and then pitch and then it's called a strike. And Braun's like, no, come on, man. Like you can't just do that for him. Um, so then like him and Yachty are laughing about it. And then, then Yachty gets hit and 
Like that, that's just like, oh, Ryan Braun. Like you, you just keep on, you you just keep on stealing our hearts, man. Like just yelling yelling about <laughs> Yachty and everything else. Like it, it's just, uh, it, it was just, it was so perfectly said. Like like everyone knows about that that kind of stuff with Yachty about how he is with umpires and and all that kind of stuff. And and hearing him say it's like, man, like that's that that's perfect. Stealing our hearts and crushing the Cardinals and Cubs hearts, man! What a what a <laughs> September for him right now. Braun is yeah. just he he was fighting through those injuries, only playing some of the games, just not quite turning it on. And September hits, and we know what happens with Braun in September. And oh God, is he has just looked out of his mind lately. Yeah, it's it, it's Mr. September, Ryan Braun. I mean, he just always seems to to come alive during the month and he certainly does it against the Cardinals a lot and he does it against the Cubs a lot which is great for a career Brewers hitter you know having a guy like that for his entire career it's you know it's something definitely special and you know it's guy if they if you can just like stay healthy and, and be in the lineup every single day um you know it, it'd really be something else uh, during this month of September um, but I want I want to talk about something else that you also mentioned that that Schilt was suspended for the second game of the double header, um, and then all of a sudden when when game two started, the first pitch thrown by uh, Oviedo hits Abisail Garcia. So the first pitch fastball drills him right in the the back of the arm or something, um, and then you know late like throughout the game, three Brewers batters get hit. Uh, no Cardinals get hit, uh, but yet the umpires warned both benches. And, like, it was just something that was really – it seemed so dumb. And it was so, like, Tony La Russa level, like Mike Matheny just level BS, where it's like, you know, they're upset about, like, whatever the next day. Schilt gets suspended, and then the first pitch, they, they drill somebody. Um, then they drill a couple other people throughout the day with fastballs, and the Brewers aren't retaliating with, with anybody – and yet the umpires have to warm both benches because of what happened yesterday with Schultz starting a fight. And then, you know, now Schultz have, you know, I, I'm assuming that Schultz, you know, having his guys hit, um, at least had, had him hit Garcia to start off. I mean, it, it just, it, it was a bad look. Yeah, it certainly is. It, it's hard to tell because Oviedo, he did have one game earlier this year where he hit two batters in the same game hasn't hit a batter in any other game this season, although only five games to speak of. Uh, I don't know. It for, We're right fighting each other in the standings. It's a game that both teams need to win. At the same time, to plunk a guy to start the game, you know, doesn't necessarily ruin your chances for the entire rest of the game. So absolutely, it's something that past Cardinals teams, I feel like I, I don't want to dig too deep into the whole Larusa thing because I was not a fan of him. Uh, someone who would complain about the lights at Miller Park possibly cheating for the home team. Yeah. Like that's the type of guy that we're talking about. I don't know. It's whether it was just a wild rookie or pitches with purpose, but uh, it certainly looked bad. I agree. Yeah. I was on a plane with Tony Larusa once. Well, yeah, it was, um, I was at the winter meetings um, last last year, 
And I was, you know, it, it was the end of the winter meetings. I was, I was trying to fly back home uh, to Milwaukee. And originally my flight was going to be with David Stearns. Like we were, we were flying to like St. Louis and then um, connecting flight from there to Milwaukee. Um, like, cause like I saw him in the waiting areas, just kind of like right over there. Um, but there was like a mechanical issue or some with the plane upon inspection or whatever. So we all had to get kind of sent out to different flights. So Stearns went on a different one and I had to get one where I went from San Diego to Oakland to Houston, then up to Milwaukee. So my flight wow. from San Diego to Oakland, um, the first person, like, you know, the A1, you know, boarding pass or whatever, the, the first one on, Tony La Russa. Like, I saw him, like, walking in, I'm like, damn, that's Tony La Russa. Like, <laughs> just walking in, he's just kind of sitting there on the plane doing, like, a little crossword puzzle or something. Uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it's hard to fight the urge to just be like, God, you suck. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, I I wouldn't have done that. Um, but yeah, uh, so that was, that was my fun story. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of, you know, a weird thing that that the Cardinals have have kind of done in the past. It just kind of makes it, it just kind of makes you think like, Oh yeah. Like it's, it's totally something that, that they would do. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, it's getting towards um, like you know the end of the season. It's a pennant fight. Um, everyone's kind of battling for a playoff spot. The Brewers' current playoff chances, according to Fangraphs, are at forty three point seven percent, which is fourth lowest in NL Central. Um, they're a game back of both the Cardinals and the Reds for. Uh, that's the, for that second spot in the division. The Cubs, the Cubs basically have the division locked up. There's 11 games left. They got a five and a half game lead uh, over the Cardinals and the and the in the Reds. And really, I mean, it was just the Cubs got off to a hot start. They've been playing about 500 baseball or or worse, uh, pretty much since their hot start, where they were like I think 13 and four or something to begin with. Um, and, and since then, they've really just kind of cooled down. And, you know, they're, they hold a commanding lead over the division. And, and that was something that I think we talked about um, plenty as the season was about to get started. Like, if you can get off to a hot start, you know, you can command that division and, and that can make a difference. Um, and, and you can withstand, like, you know, some, some brutal times if you get out to a hot start. And the Cubs did so. The Brewers, they started off cold. Uh, then they had a very extended cold streak. And now they're starting to maybe possibly pick it up, but they still haven't won more than three games in a row. Uh, they're, they're running out of time in the season. Like we said, 11 games left. And, you know, Yelich is starting to wake up. Um, Hira seemed like he was starting to wake up a little bit. But, I mean, do, do you really see the, the Brewers making the playoffs? Do, do you think that they can surpass both the Cardinals and the Reds and get themselves into a playoff spot? Well, I mean, you look at the schedules to finish out the season, and there's definitely an opportunity there if the offense can find some consistency. That has been the game game. of the game all season. It's crazy to think that our pitching has held together so well this season. Had our offense even performed average, we – could have been in the same position possibly as the Cubs. You know, we could have gotten off to that hot start. It didn't happen. But there are some signs Yelich is starting to heat up. Uh, Big Dan Vogelbach, 
my guy has Big been – he he's gotten on base in nine out of ten games since he's become a brewer. Hits in eight out of ten. He's doing what they want him to do, whether they expected it to happen this season or not. We're getting a little bit more consistency out of the lineup. Jerko is playing more games at first. Braun is starting to play a little bit more games, and so that's less that you have to put in, like a Ben Gamble or a Jace Peterson Ugh. into right field, although Jace has uh, played plenty of games at third lately. But really, I mean, third base and catcher are the two flip-flop areas where we're starting to see at least a little bit more consistency elsewhere. Hopefully that can also start to build up some offense. But going back to the schedules, we have five games remaining against St. Louis, three games remaining against Cincinnati. So that's an ultimate, you know, control your own destiny situation. Three games versus Kansas City this weekend. They're actually a little hot right now. Uh, I believe it was one seven out of their last 10 games. So that's not as easy of a situation as you'd like to think. But uh, St. Louis actually has to play them for three at Kansas City. So they get that same hot team. Um, Cincinnati still has to play a three-gamer versus the White Sox and three versus the Twins. So that works in our favor a little bit. Those are two tough teams to go through. Um, if you look at the wild card, we are sitting a game and a half back of both the Giants and the Phillies for both wild card spots. Um, Phillies' schedule is relatively easy going through the end of the year. They get Toronto and Washington, not great teams. They're playing a game against the Mets today. They do finish with three against Tampa Bay, which could be a little tough. San Francisco, on the other hand, has a three-game set versus Oakland and a three-game set versus San Diego still to play, with four against Colorado in the middle, who's kind of a middling team right now. They were actually in and out of a final wildcard spot. So there's potentially a spot there up for grabs for the Brewers, too. But again, it's just it comes down to them needing to do their job score runs just that's it just score runs they still have a really good winning percentage i believe it's still over 75 percent when they score four or more runs and an ungodly bad one when they score three or less they actually got a little bit better over this double header series because we pulled out some low scoring wins but just score runs man yeah it sounds so simple doesn't it like yeah so this is your job, you know, score some runs. It, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that tough, but, but they've had a tough time doing it um, all season long, really. And um, the the way Yelich and, and the rest of the offense, if they can hit to really kind of their career norms, I mean, they, they should be able to hit enough for uh, the team to be able to, to succeed and, and put together a run. I mean, the pitching was not the problem at all in that Cardinal series. They, they probably should have won at least four, of those games and you know if the offense was doing anything I mean they probably could have won all five um and it, it's just been such a struggle for them but you know Yelich and Braun are two guys that just really kind of hit the Cardinals well and you know maybe it was something that you know they just kind of needed to see them to to get going and that's where not having seen the Cardinals back in like July when they were initially supposed to see them might, might have hurt them. I mean, if Yelich and Braun got to see the Cardinals that first weekend series, um, you know, maybe they would have been able to get hot right away. And maybe the offense would have been able to get going um, pretty much right off the bat after that first Cubs series. 
and they wouldn't have struggled. I mean, having those three days off during that weekend series, I mean, that didn't, that didn't help them at all. I mean, that, that allowed their cold bats to, to get colder. It, it, it didn't give them a chance to, to kind of heat up. Like they, they spent all three weeks, you know, ramping up. Uh, they, they went to Chicago. Bats didn't do that much with the exception of one game. And then they, they just had to sit again for three or four days. And it, it just, I, I think it messed with them a lot. And it, it had a bigger impact than um, a lot of people kind of give credit to. Yeah, it's true. And hopefully they've moved past all of that. But, you know, there's a lot of teams that have had to deal with situations. Um, the Brewers and Cardinals aren't the only team to have had games True. canceled due to COVID outbreaks and whatnot. So everyone has their own situations they have to work through. And this is, just happens to be the Brewers. Now, another good thing that actually works in the Brewers' favor is that the Cardinals have so many games packed into the end of this schedule. They have, they still have 13 games to play. They have a doubleheader against Pittsburgh left to play as well as the one against us. They don't have a day off for the entire rest of the year. They actually haven't had a day off since last week, I believe. So we can hope that, you know, maybe us beating up on them was the start of kind of a downward spiral for them. You know, that would hopefully work in our favor. Also, I have one more theory that I uh, mentioned on Twitter. Ooh. Craig Timber, right? Yes. It hasn't quite started off the way that we expected it to. However, is it possible that Craig Timber is actually proportionate to the 162-game <laughs> schedule? That would leave Craig Timber of this year only lasting about 11 games. That would be equal to roughly the same as a 162 game schedule you know when 11 wow. games originally would have started if you took the double headers out of the equation yesterday um, yesterday yesterday would have been our 11th to the end game on the schedule so it's possible we are just now starting craig timber right when we need to and going to just coast into the playoffs wow that that is quite the theory and frankly, I mean, they, they got the Royals and, and, you know, I mean, the Royals are really kind of a, you know, bottom AL Central team. But, I mean, they, they got some really good young pitching. Um, they, they got a few exciting young players. But, yeah, I mean, if they can, you know, get it going and they can, you know, win eight or nine of the final 11 games, um, they, they can really kind of push themselves in the playoffs. And they can be – you know, that hot team going into October. And, I mean, you, you go into a three-game series, you start Woodruff, you start Burns. I mean, that's that, that's two wins right there probably. Like, you, you got those two guys going going back-to-back. -back. Um, then you have the the dominance of, of Knable and, and Hayter and Williams uh, and Rasmussen in the back end of that bullpen. I mean, they're, they're basically set with, with the pitching – if the offense can just get hot, they can be a dangerous team in October if they can get there. Yeah, and we have other capable starters too, not just the, you know, those first two. Anderson has honestly done really well this season outside of the first couple starts, which I know at least one of those wasn't fully his fault. There were some errors that happened in that game that ended up leading to some big innings, but 
Um, he turned in a six-inning performance the other night that uh, it was during the Jack Flaherty game. I, I'm pretty sure that was, but it definitely made sure that that game wasn't going to get out of hand on the other end. Bloom came back and looked really good, actually, in his most recent starts. Um, he has the ability, if he's put up big strikeout numbers, he's actually been one of the better strikeout guys in the rotation. Um, it's we as unheralded as they might be, we have a rotation that can get us through a series again if the offense gets hot and carries us through. And that's the type of thing that would happen if we're able to get into a playoff spot. It's going to be because our offense is going on a hot streak. Hopefully they would be able to continue that through the beginning of the playoffs. Combine that with a pitching staff that's been consistent through the year and crazy things can happen. Look at what uh, Washington Washington did last season. They started off terrible at the beginning of the year and then they just built up and up and up and up. Granted, their um, ascent kind of started earlier in the season, but they were able to do it and brought it all the way to a World Series title. Am I saying we're going to win a World Series this year? Not necessarily, but it's every year there's a team that just gets hot at the right time. Right now, no one in that kind of middling area is really doing that currently. Why can't the Brewers be the one to do it? Just all you got to do is flip that switch. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think most of us would have preferred that they could have flipped a switch and it was slightly earlier so that there wouldn't be so much panic about whether or not this team could hit. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe they made the, the changes necessary. I mean, like we said, you know, Dan Volgebach, I mean, he's gotten on base in 9 out of 10 games since he arrived. And, you know, I don't think Justin Smoke ever got on base in a 9 out of, get, nine out of 10 game stretch during his time uh, as a brewer. So, um, they made the they made a couple of changes and and Vogelbach can really kind of be that you know Jesus Aguilar ish waiver claim. I, I don't think he's you know quite as good as, as Aguilar was when he first came in because um, I mean Aguilar had a bit more of the the power numbers and well Vogelbach has the power he only has one home run to date um, but I mean he's he's been going to the opposite field getting you know a bunch of singles and doubles and. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to hit a triple at any point. But, you know, can we also talk about how this dude basically looks like the reincarnation of Chris Farley? Like, almost like <laughs> to the hair and everything. Like, he just he just looks like – he just looks like Chris Farley to, to me. Do, do, do you get that vibe? Oh, 100%. Let's bring up real quick the poll that we threw out on the podcast. Um, who would win in a contest of strength? Vogelbach, Paul Bunyan – Andre the Giant for Hercules. Vogelbach got 80% of the vote. Poor Paul Bunyan got nothing. No oh. love for Paul and his big blue ox. But no, he just, it, <laughs> he looks so prototypically Wisconsin. And of course, that's the type of player that any Brewers fan is going to fall in love with. Do you know what, since joining the Brewers, his soft contact percentage is 4.5%. <laughs> That's it. He's hitting everything, either medium or hard contact. His hard contact is 45.5% since joining the Brewers. It was 19.1 with the Blue Jays and Mariners. So he's crushing it. He's already – his average exit velocity of 88.6 is fifth on the Brewers right now. 
Uh, fun fact, Tyrone Taylor is actually fourth on the wow. board, which was uh, good to see. He's been hitting really well since he came up. I wouldn't mind him seeing that little bit of playing time every once in a while in the outfield. But, uh, yeah, it, I don't think any of us expected – I know none of us expected Vogelbach to do what he's doing now. It's like you wrote in your piece. It was more move for the future. He's got four years of control left. It's a even Stern said it's just trying to catch lightning in a bottle. And man, it look what we've gotten out of this so far. If he can sustain it, even even if he takes a little bit of a regression, but just hits average, still better than what we were getting out of smoke. And the byproduct of it has been that uh Jerko has gotten to play more at first base, which we everyone had been pining to get his bat in the lineup more because he was one of our best hitters and yet was just stuck in that platoon. So now he's getting to play more, not only is providing some offense, but the defense he's been playing at first has been amazing. I had no idea that he was, he was good defensively at third when he was playing there, but he's picking errant throws. He's, you know, doing everything over there. So that's kind of a domino effect from picking up Vogelbach has also been good in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been crazy. Like, Jerko, I mean, he, he was a guy that I had never really uh, known as, like, like a first baseman or a guy who could really kind of play first base. And, you know, he's over there. Like, he's making super difficult scoops, and um, he, he's playing it really well. Um, I, I remember I was watching uh, – I forget if it was, like, game one or two yesterday, but Keston here, like, it was a ground ball to him. He was probably, like, 30 feet away, and Hira's throw was just, like, so far off. Uh, Jericho had to like you know jump over to like go and get it and like put the tag down on, on the runner as he was going by. And I remember seeing Jericho's face; he was so mad, like <laughs> he's just, dude, come on, like, because I mean, we know Keston here has has a tough time throwing. Um, it, but it's like you know it, it's second base, you know you're 30 feet away. How is the throw like this far off? Like you could see it on his face; he was so mad. It's like, dude come on like like I shouldn't be having to do this but with a throw from you yeah and those are actually some of the catches that smoke wasn't making earlier this year and smoke's actually not his history he's not a bad defensive first baseman he's not and honestly he shouldn't have to be put in that situation in the first place let's make that clear yeah. but it seems like Jerko is making more of those extra effort plays at first than smoke was for whatever reason yeah, I mean it's it, it's just uh, it, it's just kind of crazy to see how how he's done over there and and he's still hitting and you know he's he's got I think like eight or nine homers um, mm -hmm. on the season so I mean he he's got the power I mean he's been you know like we said one of the best hitters that that the team has had this year um, and you just kind of look at the. Like when they show the starting lineup, you know, before the game, they show the batting averages that everyone has. It's like you got Jed Jerko like 260, 270, uh, Dan Vogelbach at like 400, uh, and then everyone else is like 240 or lower. And it's just like, man, this, this has been bad. Yeah, it's amazing to think that we're only three games under 500 with all of that said. But that's, again, just shout out to the pitching staff for – keeping us in these games and uh, being able to make things happen. But it, it yeah, it, 
I don't know. It, it, it's, you would have thought more of those would have evened out by now, but it's still just low, low. Christian Yelich, 205 or whatever he's at. Here his average has dropped some, although he's probably been the team's best run producer outside of possibly Jerko this season. Uh, Sogard has dipped way back down. His on-base has now dipped back down, which I think is why you see him not getting as much playing time anymore. Avi has actually been up, which has been good to see. He's been getting on base more, uh, making more plays at the plate. So that's another thing that if he can keep going up, adding to some of the other players who are starting to perform better, that's where there's at least a little bit of hope that they can maybe carry this through the end of the season. But yeah, it's at the very least when we get to see the batting order each day, it's some more consistent names on it. Uh, Luis Urias not being one of them lately, though, uh, he has had a rough last uh, like week and a half. He's hitting 80 since the 5th of September. Oh, yes, 80. that's right. It's, yeah. Oh, eight, oh, um, in eight games, two for 25, 10 strikeouts in eight games. Uh, so for some of us who have been a little frustrated by all the playing time that Jace Peterson has been getting, that at least explains why a little bit. Uh, Jace does have a 357 on base percentage, so um, we know that's why. It's because he's getting on base. It just if you're a team that's wanting to make the playoffs, is that a name you want to consistently see on the batting order or the yeah, starting lineup, I should say? And especially when most of that is simply just from drawing walks. I mean, his batting average is probably like what 160 or something like. He's not getting oh, yeah. hit. He's not coming up in big situations. He's just kind of laying off uh, bad pitches. But when there are ones in the zone, he's not really able to hit them. Yeah, 161. He almost nailed it on the head. He has five yeah. whole hits in 18 games. So, no, he is not getting hits. Um, yeah. But 10, 10 walks, he still has 12 strikeouts. So, it's not like he's never striking out. Um, it's... What's frustrating about it is when you have these close games and you get a couple guys on base, you need something to happen. You need someone to drive one of those guys home and Jace freaking Peterson steps into the batter's box. Like, you know, either he's going to walk and it's going to be up to the next guy or he's going to do nothing. Like he's not the one who's going to start that rally. He might continue it, but that's going to be it. And it's just, you need more, of those other guys who can make things happen, especially when you've got so many batters struggling and not hitting with runners in scoring position. Yeah. Even with Urias' struggles lately, I'd still rather depend on him trying to to start a rally, trying to get a base hit or whatever to spark something over Jace Peterson. Like, like he just comes up and like, it, it doesn't inspire any sort of, you know, confidence. They're like, Oh yeah, this guy's gonna, gonna get the job done. You know, he, he's never really kind of been that guy and, I mean, the Brewers have, you know, a bunch of other options that, that they put there. Like, I, I'd rather see Sogard in, in that spot than Peterson. Um, they, they claimed Billy McKinney off waivers a couple of days ago. And, you know, maybe, maybe they should call him up, see what he can do. Um, they, you know, that Ronnie Rodriguez got DFA'd the other day, uh, along with Trace, Trace Shupak. So, and that was really kind of interesting to see. And then uh, both of them cleared waivers. No one claimed either Rodriguez or Shupak. Uh, which I found kind of interesting because, I mean, Chupac's a guy, like, he was, you know, one, one of the top arms in the Brewers farm system. Uh, he's a big guy. Um, 
you know, he doesn't have the big strikeout rates, but, you know, he, he was a really good pitcher in double A last year and, and just kind of struggled in, in triple A when he got called up there. And then I'm assuming he was struggling at the alternate site. Um, but, you know, it was kind of surprising to see no one claim him. And, and I mean, he's, he got outrighted to triple A, so he's no longer on the 60 man roster. Um, he's still in the organization, um, but they have freed up uh, that space uh, on the 60 man by outriding him to triple A. Yeah, that's actually a situation where it might have played out in the Brewers' favor. The lack of a minor league season this year. Shupak is still sitting at number 15 on our top 30 prospects by MLB Pipeline. But because of the fact that the only thing teams know about him and his most recent history is his struggles at A, that might have been what allowed him to pass through waivers and stay in the organization. I think there's still potentially a future for him there. We might not know what that is until he gets a chance to go back to AAA and prove himself. But it's, it's unfortunate for him that he finished up there and maybe it was the juice ball that caused it. Um, I know Garrett Green, one of the radio guys for the Shuckers mentioned that for a guy who's more a control pitcher than a power pitcher, um, the difference in ball from double A to triple A really could have affected him. And maybe he just needed more time to work through that. But when it all comes down to it, he's able to stay a brewer and that's hopefully a good thing for us um i i was hoping there'd be a chance to get to see him this season he did get called up for that one day and then sent right back the next day without ever actually seeing any action so um, that was unfortunate he didn't get to make that yeah unfortunately he didn't get to make that mlb debut but uh yeah it was a surprising move too but the way stern's described it made sense you know he needed this season to be able to prove himself and with no minor league season he couldn't and it just came down to him being that last guy the brewers needed to add someone to the 40 man and he was low man on the totem pole so i get it it's surprising being one of our top prospects but at the same time we have one of the worst ranked farm systems in (laughs) all of mlb so him being one of our top prospects doesn't necessarily mean he'd land on just about any other team's top 30. So that possibly says a little bit too. Yeah. And that's something where I really feel like it turned out uh, best case scenario for the Brewers, the fact that they were mm-hmm. able to keep him. Um, then they outrighted him to AAA. So now he's off the 60 man, which I mean, that, that clears up another, another spot um, down there at the alternate site. Um, I, I would assume so, because um, both he and Rodriguez were were sent off of it. Um, so perhaps um, they can add another guy or two, uh, another prospect or two to the alternate side. I'm not sure, you know, with 11 games left, if they're going to try to bother with that. Um, but you know, it, it's kind of getting close to to the end of the season and. You know, they, they still haven't um, put Garrett Mitchell on there. I don't think they're going to put Garrett Mitchell on, on the 60-man just because, I mean, if they're going to do it, they're probably going to do it by now. Um, and now just kind of caught him up just for, for 10 days to go there to the alternate site. Uh, it, it really just kind of doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. No, I agree. I think they would have done it by now if they had wanted to. I, I'd still like to see him get a week and a half worth of work with the guys, maybe just yeah. – 
get a chance to meet some of the other guys in the organization, some of the coaches and whatnot. I think that'd be kind of awesome, but no, I, I think you're right. It's not happening at this point. I, I don't really know who they would even potentially add to that. Um, they've yeah. added a lot of their top prospects, really. I'm pretty sure just about everyone in their top 10 outside of Mitchell yep. is at the alternate training site at this point, as well as some of their guys like Dylan File and Clayton Andrews. They were added originally because they're ones who are possibly a little bit closer to the majors. File more so than Andrews. Um, yeah, one guy I was I was just always hoping to really see get added there was Luke Barker. He's a unknown name to most, but he had a sub two sub two ERA for at oh. both Double A AA and Triple A last season. So the adjustment in Triple A didn't affect him at all. And I thought maybe that he'd be a guy who, if he could get some work there and prove that he still has it, he'd be one of those dark horse guys to get added to a forty man later. Essentially, Justin Topa ended up being that guy. Um, who's had his moments. He got a couple pitches that look good. He just needs to, you know, refine a couple things. Um, but it says a lot about him that he's been back and forth a couple times this season. Um, yeah. I'd, uh, they might just leave that 60 man at 59 or whatever, you know, what reason is there really to add anyone else at this point? Trade deadlines come and gone. So yeah. That was the reason some guys potentially got added to it if the Brewers are going to make a move. So that's not a thing anymore. Um, I don't know. I, it, it probably just stays the way it is, honestly. Yeah. I wouldn't expect them to make too many more changes um, this this late in the season. Um, and, and Stearns even said at the start of it, it's like, you know, the 45 that they initially named are probably just kind of mostly the guys that they're expecting to use. And, you know, that they weren't really expecting to use all 60. And um, they're just going to kind of – kind of roll with what they got. Um, I, I think that's going to uh, just about do it for this week's episode of the cold brew podcast. Any final, any final thoughts, Matt? Um, just a big, big series. I mean, every series is big, but this Kansas city one this weekend, yes, they're on a hot streak, but they are still last place in the AL central beat up on them, get some momentum. And then it's reds and Cardinals to finish just, it, it's going to saddle up everyone because it's going to be a wild ride here to the end. They, we got a chance, as much a chance as many other teams. So let's just start it off. The actual 60-game Craig Timber starts now. <laughs> the actual 60- or 11-game Craig Timber, uh, it starts It starts right now. Um, yeah, so that I, I just think that the Brewers, got, they got to win every series. They, they can't take a series loss. Um, in any of these final three, if they do, um, they're, they're really kind of ending their own chances. Um, you know, the, the five games left against the Cardinals, you know, I'm assuming that they're still going to be in position um, to, to make the playoffs entering that five-game series. And it's just a matter of if they can beat the Cardinals in enough of those games to surpass them. And it's, it's really looking like it's going to come down to the wire. So, that that final five game Cardinal series in St. Louis, uh, that that's really kind of going to be the the big big one, and the Brewers clinched their playoff appearance in 2018 uh, in St. Louis. So, just saying that they they had a sweep of them there in 2018, which clinched their own playoff spot. Um, so, it happened once. Perhaps history can repeat itself.
let's let's not also forget the big Ryan Braun Grand Slam. Big Ryan Braun Grand Slam was a year ago yesterday, I think. Was it? I was going to say it had to have been. Or or two days ago. I I think it was the 15th. Um, Yeah, like a year ago on the 15th, the the Grand Slam against uh, the Cardinals. So it's just, you know, hopefully history can repeat itself a third year in a row. We'll see. Brewers trying to make their third straight postseason appearance. Um, All going to come down to the wire. We'll have it all uh, for you on reviewingthebrew.com and here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter um, at Cold Brew underscore pod. Is is that right? Cold Cold Brew Brew underscore pod. Cold Brew underscore pod. um, Or follow us on our personal accounts at dgasper24 or at mkemat13. Um, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the cold brew podcast. Be sure to tune in next week as we come down to the wire on this 2020 regular season for the brew. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next time.